just another Saturday night. Power is a fragile thing. It's tearing me up how much I love you. Dwight, is that you? What I gotta do. She owns me. She was an angel. When she wishes it, we die. One of these days, she'll pull the trigger. <laughs> it's a good game. UP Basketball! Basketball! All right, this is the script. Uh, regularly the beat sheet edition, but we're not doing a beat sheet for Sin City 2, a dame to kill for. I'm with uh, my other script doctor, Chris Theokis. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, David. Thank you. And I'm David Negrin. Um, we're both staff members of the NYC Screenwriters Collective, and this is the official podcast of the NYCSC. Uh, we're doing Sin City 2, A Dame to Kill For. And since it's a multi-plot film, um, doing a beat sheet for it makes it would be very granular. We could do it, but it'd just be kind of a pain in the butt. Um, so instead, we're going to review the film. Um, and we're also, I, I watched Sin City, the original, and Sin City 2 back-to-back. So I'm going to make some comparisons. Yeah, it's been um, about it's been about nine years since I've seen Sin City, which is really important. That's a great way to start the conversation. Is Sin City the original was two thousand and five? Right. Uh, obviously, Robert Rodriguez uh, uh, directed with Frank Miller, Robert Rodriguez, and guest director Quentin Tarantino. Okay, um, this was two thousand and five. Was arguably Robert Rodriguez's prime. You know, um, Spy Kids movies and all that. Um, right. And not in, uh, 10 years later, we get the sequel to Sin City 2. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you make of that? Just What do you, what do you make about Robert Rodriguez just deciding to do the sequel even 10 years later? It seems like 10 years too late, to be quite honest. <laughs> which is like, Nine which or eight years too late. Yeah, it, it, I remember Steven Spielberg saying something many, many years ago, that you, you should do it, if, if something is popular enough, you should do a sequel, and you should do it about four years after the original came out, which explains something like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was followed up with Temple of Doom, uh, Jurassic Park was followed up with its sequel, and so on, and nine years, in a lot of ways, seems too late, but if the fan base is there, I think they're patient, and they would be patient. Uh, I mean, there's such a there's such a dirge of great films this year. Why not? But um, I think it, it makes for really great script analysis. Um, if you look at the Sim the Sin City, that's gonna happen a couple of times tonight. Yeah. The Sin City um, uh, right now, it's it's a duology. It's not a trilogy. Right. But clearly, Robert Rodriguez is hoping was hoping this weekend that Sin City 2 would make enough money that it would garner a third film. Um, yeah, I, that was my impression in one or two of the storylines, and unfortunately it does not look like he's going to get his wish. That said... Um, he got beat by Guardians and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't know about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. That said, I mean, he did the original so inexpensively yeah. Uh, relative to other movies, he could probably pull a third one out. Yeah, I think the uh, first one was, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, about forty. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, Rodriguez is, incre- is incredibly frugal with his uh, filmmaking process, and that's why I love him as a filmmaker. Um, you know, it, he, he had, at the time, he had um, going for him, there were only three other movies doing the same thing, whereas there was a lot of green screen. Now, at the time when Sin City 1 came out, there were only three other movies doing something similar, whereas a majority of the, the set was green screen set. Yeah. Uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. There was a Japanese film called Cash Earn, and there was a, uh, a European film, uh, the name of which escapes me, but they, they all did the similar thing. And at the time, 2004, 2005, when they were shooting, that was brand spanking new. Yeah. Nobody else was doing something like that. Yeah, now it's now it's 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 kind a of standard operating procedure to save a lot of money on sets um, and uh, uh, on on uh, locations by doing things all green screen and. That's and, not uh, to take away from how the, how good this movie looked. I, is is as many complaints as I may have about it. Yeah, let's talk about City Two: Dame to Kill for. How did it look? I it was it looked really great. Uh, it had the same stark black and white film noir look as the first film. It had uh, one thing that struck me was the transitions between scenes, especially in one of the, the the transitions in the Dwight story where he's been beaten up, he's in the car, and he gets thrown out of the car. And just the transition from him being beaten up to being thrown out of the car was absolutely amazing. But transitions don't make a great film. That was a great moment where uh, <laughs> Dwight is like hanging on one car, and then he bumps into the police car, and you're like, oh, how are they going to shoot this? Where He's going to have to cr- jump in, and then, it, then uh, Rodriguez cuts, and all of a sudden he jumps through the windshield, and they use an animation oh, that, that was, uh, to push them out. That, that was Marv. Was that Marv? Get, Who's Marv? Marv remembering yeah, what he was doing. Uh, a lot of people get beaten up in this, so it's not surprising that you, know, you might forget one for the other. Yeah, one uh, of the, one of the major yeah. thing uh, uh, strengths of the original Sim, Sin City was um, this visual aesthetic that um, uh, Rodriguez uh, reinvented from the Frank Miller graphic novel. He took it out of the graphic novel and used it on screen. He created this artwork on screen, this 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 uh, stylized vi- uh, aesthetic that gives you. Um, almost like a comic book look. Um, yeah. In Sin City 2, he actually got away from it. There wasn't as much of it, and I, I missed it a little bit. Um, he had less of the comic book stuff, less of the we're in a comic book world, more, but you know, still this film noir, uh, black and white, with the uh, colored, uh, somewhat colored elements from here to there. So the color elements. Uh... Uh, were from the comic book. Uh, she Is had the right? jacket in the comic. Yeah, okay. that was something that progressed through the series. I think there's about I seven, wondering, six or seven books. I was wondering how Rodriguez chose what to color and what not, because there there didn't seem to be some too many rules about it. It seemed to me that you know he shot the whole thing probably in color, um, right. and then he desaturated it, and then he went back in and post and said, all right, what's going to be pretty? What are we going to draw attention to? But he did some amazing stuff. If he was taking, uh, I'm sure he's taking um, his notes from the graphic novel. I mean, and Frank Miller is directing, uh, ha- you know, half or less of this movie too. So, well, in in terms of choosing to color things, I think w- there's a, a a Cadillac with the 
the fins that was colored red, and I think that's from the comic book. I know the jacket that Ava was wearing that was blue was from the comic. Yeah. Uh, one or two other things, like the color of the lip, the character's lips being red was from the comic. The blood, not so much, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, they went less blood this time. Did you notice that? Sin City, Sin City 1, I watched it last night, so bloody. Totally yeah. bloody. Um, there was a, a moment in Sin City 2 early on where Marv cut somebody's throat, and I was looking for the big, bloody, like, you know, reveal for people to go, ah, in the audience, and it didn't happen. They went, the blood was white or black yeah. or something. And I was like, uh, oh. He, I was going to say, yeah. the same thing happened with the character Miho towards the end when she was killing people. There was a lot of white, you know, white splashes of blood. I, I remember that from the first one, too, but like, you know, I said it's been nine years. Since yeah. I've seen it, so I'll take your word for the, the amount of yeah, blood no, in the original. Yeah, no, it's true. And so some of the things, you know, um, you know, this was a, you know, one of the things, just to get out in front, Rodriguez, this was another, both Sin Cities could be real grindhouse movies. These are yeah. film noir in its, in a really heightened sense. It's, it's a hyper-violent film noir. The crimes that are going on, are, you know, in the original was like uh, rape, child molestation, um, and in this one, you know, there's like torture and murder. It's not, actually, the Sin City 2 is not as heavy in those respects. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, basically, you know, you get your Rodriguez uh, dismemberment. He's, that, that man loves to dismember the human body. Um, you get your dismemberment, you get um, men's faces getting beaten in, you get women being slapped, yeah. uh, you get a lot of guys shot in the shoulder and not dying, Yeah. Uh, right, or shot in the leg. And, and not dying. Uh, and and, 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 and uh, as you can tell from my, uh, my stage name tonight, you get people kicked <laughs> in the balls. Men are kicked in the balls in this, in this duology more than like anything else. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I have to admit that's true, uh, but speaking of film noirs, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who was in uh, Brick, which was the film noir itself, ah, yeah. said, I want to say it was in the commentary for Brick or in a, an interview, was that these characters, film noir characters, get beaten up a lot. Yeah. Heroes go through the ringer, and his character it's a convention. Brick, yeah. When, yeah, it's a trope of the, the genre, they get beaten up a lot, even though they might come out on top in the end. They're going to be battered and bruised, and that was certainly true in in uh, in Sin City Two. Sin City Two to me was just a parade a parade of uh, film noir cliches uh, from the, the conversations between Dwight and Ava at the bar. Uh, if you remember the first time they meet, she's an hour late, which is yeah. a trope. And then they're like, she's saying, I still love you, and he's like, I can't the femme do this fatale. anymore. Yeah, absolutely, the femme fatale. Why don't, we, why don't we just break it up into the four main plots, and let's step through them and, and talk about them. Um, let's do it in order of the story. Um, the, the, the film opens with uh, Marv and the frat boys, right? Right, yeah. What did, you, what did you make of that, the opening plot? Uh... The opening plot could have been cut completely without any damage or anything uh, negative happening to the rest of the film. It was it was fun when I was watching it because I thought, this is going to have something to do with the rest of the movie, which is fine, I guess. It's a good, I suppose it's a good short film, but but 
that was one thing that frustrated me about this was there was a lot of fat on this film that could have been cut out, and this was the first bit of it. Yeah, because you know, um, I agree completely. I mean, the problem here is, you know, obviously um, uh, Rodriguez and Frank Miller fell in love with the Marv character for Definitely. this film, but he's 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 involved in the other three major plots, but he doesn't have his own. So it's almost as if they threw in the little frat boy plot up front to uh, to uh, give him his own uh, piece in the movie. Give him something um, to do. I mean, he had a major plot in the original Sin City with Nancy. Right. Um, and then and and or, or with uh, Goldie, excuse me, with Goldie and being framed uh, for killing Goldie. Um, and. Uh, I, as soon I guess, as I saw the first plot, when it, as soon as I saw Marv and the frat boys, I thought two things. First, I thought, isn't Marv dead? Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, so yeah. And then the second thing I thought was, frat boys are not really great antagonists. No, they're not, especially against somebody like Marv. If I remember correctly from the graphic novel series, though, they jump back and forth in time because I think Miller, Frank Miller, understood, and I think. Uh, the comic book publisher understood that this is a popular character. They want to hear more stories from him. Him being around didn't bother me too much because I understood that, hey, he's a popular character. We could see a prequel. Um, well, this and this and that to me, I, after I worked out the math, it was, <laughs> you know, it was a little like uh, following a time travel film. But yeah, I, I, uh, I, I realized. I mean, overall, this Sin City Two is a prequel. Overall. Yeah. Oh, overall, yeah, it is. Yeah. Although, because Marv is alive, um, uh, and um, uh, Goldie is alive and her wife. Um, yeah. But then there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of uh, uh, conflicts with that because Manute dies in this. Yeah. Uh, Manute, who was cast, who was played by uh, Dennis Haysbert. Right. Um, uh, since we lost uh, Michael Clark Duncan, um, and uh, also Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays the brother of Nick Stahl's like evil ass character from the first one. Right. Um, uh, what was his? What was the character's name? Uh, he uh, was Yellow Bastard. Yellow Bastard. I forget his name, but yeah, Rourke Jr. Yellow Bastard. Ye Yellow Bastard. Um, so if there's the, uh, Yellow Bastard is dead in Sin City 2, and Minute is dies in Sin City 2. How could it be a prequel? So, and also the ghost of, um, of Hardigan. Hardigan. Hardigan is dead already and has killed himself, right? I, a, a friend of mine, uh, this is a very long time ago, We uh, back in high school, we all went to see Highlander 2. And he titled it Highlander 2, No Relation. <laughs> and I, I, my feeling was in this case, Sin City Two, no relation to Sin City One. Yeah, yeah. Which is fine because all it has to do is be entertaining. And if it does, if it isn't entertaining, then you know that then it's create, then it's committed the biggest sin. Yeah. So um, Marv and the Frat Boys, I if you think about Sin City One, all of the antagonists, right, are right. they are super villains, okay? Yeah. They're they're gruesome psychopaths with special powers, right? You got Yellow Bastard, who's like a gruesome psychopath, like child molester, and then you get um, you get uh, um, 
Elijah Wood's character, right? He was uh, something of a serial killer type. Right, his name was Kevin, but he had these special powers. Like, he was like this little young uh, young guy, but he had this... He, he beat the crap out of... Um, uh, I can't remember if it was Bruce Willis or if it was Mickey Rourke, but he, he had these special powers, right? And so all the bad guys in the first movie were like super villains, right? Um, uh, aside from Rourke. And Rourke seemed right. like the most boring villain... In Sin City One, problem right. is he becomes the main villain in Sin City Two, and you don't get any of these supervillains with superpowers. Uh, the closest thing is Minute, who yeah, yeah. Um, in this movie uh, looks like uh, M Bison from Street Fighter, right? Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I, I was trying to place it like I thought maybe he was a cop, but because of his clothes, but no, he wasn't. And I thought he does look familiar. Yeah, that's right. I, I think I nailed it. So. Um, totally nailed it. Um, but uh, what do you think of the eye gouge? Yeah, I, that actually surprised me a little bit, considering the type of violence that was in it. But I mean, it, it didn't seem out of place particularly. It, I guess I think it was a highlight of the movie. It, it, the crowd finally made noise in my theater when it went. Some girl goes ah, and my reaction was like yeah. But I have to I have to ask how many people were in your theater because in mine, I was going to say there were about 15 people including me and mine. On a Sunday night opening weekend New York City Upper East Side I had about 20 20 Yeah. People in the I had I had a family of 5 to my right and uh, you know kids 12 and under and they left the moment there was nudity. Not wow. violence, nudity. So, that yeah. was dad not doing his homework. Yeah. <laughs> But see, that, that's another problem with doing a sequel so so late. Like, there's nothing, there's no con continuity where you feel relationship to the original film. I mean, I had to go watch Sin City one last night, um, just to like find some connection. But what surprised me is I have an Apple TV, and uh, this summer has been a, a summer of sequels, and. In the movie section of Apple TV, they, you will see the previous, if it's a sequel, the previous film. So there was, I think, the original Captain America was up. Yeah. Uh, you know, all these movies were up to, in order to catch you up, and that wasn't the case with Sin City. One thing I was on Reddit uh, when I saw the Variety, uh, the link to the Variety uh, article about it not doing well, and a lot of people in the comment section said they had no idea that it was being released this weekend. And that's just bad, um, you know, PNR. But I mean, that's what happens when you don't have a studio get behind a movie. Even Rodriguez has his own little studio and his own TV channel at El Rey. You know, it's just when a movie doesn't test well, they just don't advertise it. But um, I, I have to admit, though, if if people listen to critics, they wouldn't go. I don't think they'd go see this movie because this movie was something of a disappointment for me. I. I can't say that I was hoping beyond hope that this would do gangbusters at the, the box office, but when you see the people that are involved in it, you know, Josh Brolin, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Rosario Dawson I like, Dennis Haysbert, you know, I like Christopher Maloney and Jeremy Piven, uh, Stacey Great Keats. names, a bunch of great names, and, and you know what? I thought that Rodriguez would reach back into the original Sin City and give us more of that. And but, in, in Sin City 2, we got less of that. We got. I thought we got a lot of fat, for one thing. Uh, you know, to my main issue, I started to do a beat sheet for this movie. And okay. I stopped, I stopped at setup, which is like 
the third thing into the beat. <laughs> and I was like, ah, screw this. Uh, but the, the yeah, thing no, is... Because I, with, a, with a multi-plot, it's, it's, it's like, especially, it ends up being, a, you know, a multi-plot film is just a group of short stories, right? And, and in this case, I thought there were kind of two through lines, the Dwight story and what I call the Rourke, Senator Rourke story. Right. Uh, you could break Rourke into Johnny versus Rourke and Nancy and Mara versus Rourke. Uh, um, but, but ultimately, I thought there were so many things you could just excise from this. And so, speaking of Johnny, Johnny could have been excised from this without any problem. That was the Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I uh, love the, the the Johnny plot. That was that was the... the don't for don't me, get me wrong. I thought that was the strongest acting, especially from Mr. Gordon-Levitt. But also, uh, also the writing was great. Like the, the little short story with the girl and then the poker. That that was uh, the one thing that was sized correctly in this movie. The Dwight and Ava plot was way too fat. There was too much of that. But but considering that, like I was thinking of like Rourke meeting his end was kind of like a big to do. So it would be Nancy versus Rourke. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's the best story of them to pick. It just was the one that had the most. Uh, it had the biggest climax. It had the biggest stakes in terms of what was happening. I, I really enjoyed the Johnny B. Rourke story, and I wish that it had you know more to do with the rest of it. But yeah, but that, the the Nancy Rourke plot is this, com- it, comes out of nowhere. It becomes the third act, and rightfully so. It has the most conflict, and it's a great finale. But you know what? The Dwight and Ava plot. Um, was really interesting. She was the dame to kill for. Yeah, right? and it should have. It, it kind of should have been its own movie because, if again, if I remember correctly, the first Sin City graphic novel was a series of short stories, and then after that, well, uh, the dame to kill for was on its own. One of the it, things it was its own book. But one of the things I love about these movies is um, the way that Rodriguez puts together his multi-plot, his ensemble film, right, where the stories interlap and over. Or intertwined, but they're independent, and that way, uh, and that's what I did as a, as a you know someone who's a, who's a screenwriter and who loves um, uh, great screenplays. I, I start when you see a multi-plot movie, you start trying to connect themes, right? And so, um, connecting themes between these four short stories in Sin City Two, and then the original four plots from Sin City One, and I found a lot of great overlap. Of, right. of themes. I mean, first main theme was, uh, you know, bad fathers, you know, making their sons into uh, bad men themselves, right? In the original right. Sin City, that's where the yellow bastard comes from. It comes from Rourke. Um, uh, you know, Hardigan uh, mentions, like, his father was not around. Like, right. There's a lot of uh, themes of this masculinity. Oh, and emasculation. That's where the kicking in the nuts comes from. This constant kicking in the nuts. Yes, yes. Um, uh, and the constant talking about it. I felt the freight train smash me in the ball. Whatever. It's like. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, Yellow Bastard actually getting, you know. Uh, losing yeah, it. Totally yeah. losing it. So, um, I don't know. The, the, the theme of the, the fathers and sons, the, the bad fathers and sons, actually reminded me a bit of uh, 300. Another Frank Miller, a graphic novel that was adapted. Um, right, that doesn't that doesn't particularly surprise me. Yeah, he, he's one one that does kind of carry his themes throughout his work. He's like uh, a comic book version of Christopher Nolan, I suppose, who carries his. Yeah, theme no, I mean, great work. writers have super genres, and well, back up on that. 
writers of super genres. I wouldn't call Frank Miller anymore a great writer, and I think the last time he was a great writer, and this is kind of a, a, a uh, I, I guess a nerd, uh, nerdgasm. The last time he was a good writer was when he did the Martha Washington series for. Really. Yeah, I don't think that 300 was that particularly good because it was. Um, I, I didn't like 300's fine. I don't think it's that great. Also, I thought I thought 300. It's not as ambitious a story as uh, it, as, it, as, it, as 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 some of his other graphic novels, but I think it stands alone as the the most well balanced, and that's why. Um, the original the, film worked so well. If you read The Dark Knight Returns, he's been yeah. thinking about that story for a very long time. Yeah. Um, because Thermopylae is the Greek for the hot gates. Yeah, yeah. And you'll, there's a character who's alluded, not a character that appears in The Dark Knight Returns, but a character that's spoken of in The Dark Knight Returns called Hot Gates, and she's a porn star. Nice. And so back in the mid-80s, he was already thinking about this story. Yeah. Uh, ever since the Martha Washington story is um, a science fiction comic book, it's about a, an African American woman growing up in the 21st century, and she saves the world essentially, which I think is interesting because African American women aren't well represented in media at all. Uh, and then he did 300, and then he did The Dark Knight Strikes Again. He did um, shoot, it was like, it was supposed to be Batman versus Al-Qaeda. It was called Holy, he did a, a graphic novel called Holy Terror, which is okay. visually You're missing off all incredible pieces of writing. You, not incredible. They're terrible. He is not a good writer. Terrible? Uh, he's, he, he understands thematically what he's trying to say. He does not know how to deliver that message. The last time I will reiterate, the last time he wrote anything good, and this includes Sin City, which is post-Martha Washington, is Martha Washington. Uh, Sin City's fine. It's good. You're, you're being a snob at this point. Okay. I, I, I guarantee you I'm not being a snob. All-Star Batman and Robin is not a good book. I'm okay. sorry. I love Frank Miller's work up until Martha Washington. He's an amazing, All right, so at least, amazing writer. At least, at least kiss the ring. I, I will kiss the ring up to a certain degree. Uh, he's not a great writer. I, I feel the same way about but Alan the, Moore. If that the, means the, yeah, there you go. <laughs> The dialogue from the original Sin City is taken out of the graphic novel, okay? And the original dialogue from Sin City 1 was fantastic. This, this stylized film noir, but really R-rated, really, uh, uh, really um, graphic violence. He took it to another level. Problem is Sin City 2, the uh, dialogue wasn't um, as, uh, for me, it just wasn't as... Um, well written. It wasn't as poetic. Um, it was still stylized, I, I, but there was way too much voiceover. There was like a ton of voiceover exposition. I remember it working a lot better in the graphic novel. I think it does work better in the graphic novel. Sometimes uh, it just doesn't work. You write something you know that's great on the page and that reads great on the page, but then somebody actually says it and it's not that great. And it happens. Uh, and I think that's yeah, but that's screenwriting, man. You got to be a badass, okay? Well, what you need to do is during rehearsals just go, ah, crap, this sucks, and change it. And they, it doesn't sound like they did that. You don't do it, that in rehearsals. You do that in edit, okay? You do that on your second and third draft. Well, to, 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 the, to be fair, collective. Th this is one thing that I will, you know, say about the script is like, yeah, you're going to write some, some stuff that sounds great or reads great in your second and third draft. 
and then you're going to get it in people's mouths, and that's when things really change. When it's when it's in the rehearsals, when it's absolutely, on the yeah. yeah. So so they they don't have an excuse. Don't get me wrong. That stuff read great on the page, but um, once it got on screen, it, it just didn't seem to work. And, and and that really stood out for me in the scene where Ava and White meet at the bar, and she's saying, you know, doing the usual femme fatale thing. I missed you. I love you. I still right, love you. I'm, right. And, and all fair, you know, fair enough. Hey, you know. That's par for the course for the genre, but yeah, but no, you've got to do important. better. You've got to elaborate on it. In Sin City One, he used the film noir uh, conventions, but it was very poetically done. Okay, it was improved. So the um, in the second uh, the second film, Sin City Two, the trouble we have is that the voiceover is not for characterization. It's used as exposition. And I think yeah. in a lot of the arguments about voiceover and when to use voiceover, the best uses of voiceover in screenwriting are when they're at, they add to character. They're not crutches for explaining the movie or the plot. Um, you know, if you look at the last half of Inception, <laughs> there's a voiceover... Uh, where Leo Decap is explaining to the audience yeah. everything that they need to understand because the movie is the script was so half baked and the the plot was so overly complex and complicated and and open and and uh, and, and, uh, and threads were were left hanging that someone needed to voice over all the to exposit all the answers right great voiceover is used in screenwriting to, as characterization like. Right. If you use Red's voiceover in Shawshank Redemption, it didn't. It wasn't a crutch for the plot. It let us get to know Red. It let us get to know the prison. It let us get to know Andy. It was. It was. It was beautiful. And, and for me, in Sin City Two, the voiceover fell a little bit too much into the exposition um, area. And as you said, I agree. It fell a little bit uh, too much into into cliche. Right. Uh, it it's, it's uh, it felt to me like Sunset Boulevard kind of voiceover, which I know is probably uh, blasphemous to speak because that is a classic film. But uh, like you were saying, it, it was just exposition and it was reiterating things that we had already seen on the screen. Uh, it, so if you come to the New York City Screenwriters Collective, please, please, <laughs> please try not to do a voiceover in your screenplay. No, or if you use, do it, use it for characterization, not exposition. I, I I have no problem, especially in film noir. Voiceover is a convention. You do a film noir without voiceover or without some kind of narrator. It'll missing, feel weird. You're missing out on a real a great tool. Um, let's get to the plots, the, the, the couple of plots here. Um, uh, let's get to the... Uh, we talked about Marv and the frat boys. It was kind of a throwaway plot just to show Marv is a badass and some action set pieces and to reestablish ourselves in the world. Okay. It, it, yeah, it seemed to me, just one last thing about that, because we have talked about it a bit, is that uh, it seems like a lot of screenplays and a lot of stories open with an action set piece in order to draw it in. Yeah. All that scene, that's all that this did. Or that's all that this seemed to, uh, that's all the function that this had. And un unlike the original Sin City, it wasn't a bookend. The no. original Sin City had a bookend, a, a moment where, it was an action set piece, but it was a, interesting set piece with Josh Hartnett and uh, a beautiful woman right? Um, where you think they're falling in love and he's going to save her and then the bookend at the end of the film is he actually kills her, right? Right, yeah. Uh, because Sin City, which is a major character in both of these films, Sin City, everyone's always blaming it on the city and how yeah. dark a place it is and that's one of the great um, 
pieces of this mythology is how how that Sin City is a desperate place, um, uh, and that the cops can't save you, and that um, you know you got to fight for yourself. The weak right. will never survive here. Okay, so then on to the the Johnny and Senator Rourke plot, which was my favorite plot. But what did you think? I, it was my favorite as well, but I I some I wonder if it was uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's charisma overall. I feel like out of you know, if we're not going to talk about, if we if we step away from the script for a second and just talk about the the final product on the screen, I thought he was the best actor. He did the most with the character, and um, I mean, he he did the film noir thing. He got beaten up a lot. He broke his fingers. He got shot in the leg. He lost yeah, his bro- shoes. Yeah, the 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 uh, the. Uh... The the dislocated fingers is a, not exactly a dismemberment, but it's still in the. Uh, it's, a nice visual, it's a nice visual cue because his fingers aren't pointing straight like you know mine are right now. They were all twisted in, in at different angles. Uh, still part of the Rodriguez repertoire. Yeah, and um, you know it's it's probably a complaint I'd have about any of these storylines is that I didn't get enough of it, and in in a sense that's nice. You know, hey, this is such a great thing. I want more. But that's, that's I agree with you. That's how a multi-plot movie should feel. Three or four stories that are great characters, great little world, great little plot. They all get resolved, and then you're like, wow! Like all yeah. together, that made such a such a powerhouse Voltron of a movie that like you that it worked. And Sin City One for me did do that. Well, in this case, as great as it was, all it did was tell me that Rourke is a bad guy. He doesn't even give a damn about his own kids or his own blood outside of the yellow bastard. And if this had not appeared at all in the final product, eh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, but Which you could say that about every plot. You could take all the plots. I, I, I couldn't say that about... I, I'm gonna, I, it sounds like I'm going to disagree with you on this. I couldn't say that about Nancy, because, and the only reason is because, she, you know, spoiler for the movie, she kills Rourke. And Dwight, because he has a very full plot. Is, you know, yeah. Even though it's a, it's it is world well, the, the, Dwight, the, Dwight, the Dwight Nava plot is probably gets the most screen time. Yeah, and um, it's and it's separate from the war war plot. And, yeah, you know it's and I felt like uh, why didn't this get its own movie? Why? Well, and if you're it's not about that, getting it's, its own movie. It's about doing the 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 ensemble thing. That's ah, screw the ensemble thing. If it's a good story, give it room to breathe. And this it wasn't enough of a story. I thought there was plenty of fat on the Dwight Nava plot. Like uh, yeah, to be quite honest, I felt there was too much fat on the Dwight Nava plot. But it was not about Dwight and Ava that it had too much fat. Not no, there was there was no fat at all on Ava herself. Though. No, of course not. But it, but in terms of the Johnny. Rourke plot. I mean, it was bare bones. It was down, boiled down to its DNA, pretty much. Great, um, great. The, the the poker stuff. The idea, yeah. that 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 visual stuff that Johnny did with the with the deck and the, yeah, the yeah. coins and him having some kind of magic ability to be lucky and uh, the beautiful girl that he picks up. Like I don't know. There's some. There's a great little story there, and it worked end to end, and it did set up Rourke as the main bad guy. But again, for me. Huge problem compared to Sin City One. You know, yeah, Rourke was a bad guy in Sin City One, but he was like the most boring bad guy. Where are these psychopath uh, super villains with superpowers? We do get Minute in the Dwight and Ava plot, um, 
But, uh, you know, he's just like a big, tough guy. He doesn't have any of these superpowers. He had that cool gold eye after about the movie. That was pretty cool, yeah. Uh, now, in terms of, of Rourke being a bad guy, I, I mean, I agree with you. Where are the supervillains, super uh, you know, to fight? He was fine as a villain, I thought. But fine is kind of a backhanded compliment in this case. Uh, and in terms of showing that he was a bad guy, I don't think we needed, you know, the Johnny storyline. I don't think we needed all the asides. We just needed Nancy uh, if you're going to end with him dying. Uh, he's bad enough. He, he was responsible for the death of Hardigan because of the yellow bastard. Uh, and her revenge story, if it had been fleshed out more, if it had been more than just a third act kind of story, would have been great. But yeah. it, it wasn't, unfortunately. And, uh, she, you know, she wasn't given enough to do. Nancy wasn't given enough to do. Um, except for sit around and spat off uh, lines about how Hardigan was supposed to still be there for her and still love her forever and so forth and so on. Yeah. Which... Um... Um, could have been left unspoken, I think. There, the closest we got to a supervillain was this guy of Wallenquist, the guy with the big head. He looked a little Job of the Hut like. And he appeared in one scene, if I remember correctly. That was it. Yeah, and like, where did he come from? I think that was like set up for the third film or something. But that's and that, that was another thing. It's like if you're gonna have him in it, I mean, I hope he gets a third film and I hope he's in it. And that's my impression of what they wanted to do. If that's not what their goal was, replace Wallenquist with Rourke. There yeah. you tie the two stories together, but I mean, it's. I would it's, like. Could we have given Rourke the 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 job of the hut? Actually, you, it looked more like Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's true. It looked like. A, I was like, what does he look like? He looks like Pizza the Hut mixed with a character from Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah it was so. a film noir Pizza the Hut. That's yeah, yeah. That's true, and and it's like. <laughs> It's it is like a left field character, and if there's no third film, it's it's uh, just kind of a chicken. All the bucket, is working all angles, you know. And so that let, let's move on to the Dwight and Ava plot. It was the main plot um, for me. Uh, it brought up this second theme that's in both of these films, that's in the Sin City trilogy, which is you know um, men getting used by women, right? Right. Frank Miller must have been done wrong, like a. Several oh, times, you know, like totally must have. Yeah, so men being used by women, uh, because Ava uses uh, Dwight. Everybody. Okay, she uses all the men, and actually, there's a moment where Nancy uses Marv. Remember, in the third act, she's like, she's like, I'm, I'm, you know, remember, she cuts herself up to get Marv. Yeah. To, to, to go after Rourke as if Rourke did it. Yeah. So yeah. that's a theme here, and so the Dwight and Ava plot. Um, I bought it. I thought Josh Brolin uh, was playing an interesting version of the hard-boiled um, film noir protagonist, except for the fact that he's a photographer. Well, if if you is, yeah. is I didn't that, really is that really this. noir? What happened to detective? What happened well, to you know? A, tough my guy? impression was uh, that he's a private detective. That he's that this is what he's basically down to doing. His character, if I remember correctly from the first movie is um, it's played by Clive Owen. Is if it the I'm, same guy? Oh, yeah, I, I think it's supposed to be, but uh, they they play it so differently. Hang on, I'm oh, looking at... I, I did not know that. I, I Dwight was the Clive... I don't think so. That, I thought Hang on, I'm, I'm looking at... Uh, Let's see, check IMDb on that. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You're right. Yeah, but but in the to be fair, in the graphic novel... Um, 
Dwight does have plastic surgery. And so he does look different. Right. However, oh, wow. I remember them I remember them acting very differently. Well, yeah. They, yeah, totally different approaches to Dwight. No, completely. Um yeah. but also um what's interesting is that um Dwight in this film is, you know, he's he's cooped up with Ava and her issues instead of uh in the first film it was uh, Dwight and uh, Rosario Daw- Dawson's character, Gail. Right, they, um, they do touch base on that in, later in A Dame to Kill For, where, she, you know, where, where um, Gail says you know, I, you know, that she still loves him, even though he doesn't right, love her. Right, right. Yeah. Um, that makes a whole lot more sense. That was a, that's a casting problem. I mean, he was a central character in the original film, and, uh, you, and you recast Marv. You didn't recast Marv. You know, and you didn't recast Rourke. And, and you, you didn't, didn't recast Nancy, and you didn't recast, Nancy. you know, yeah, Gale and Hardigan well, and so on. Well, uh, it, I know Clive Owen's busy doing the Nick, but... Uh, there were there were a fair number of, of actors who were either unavailable or who unfortunately passed away between Cincinnati yeah. 1 and Cincinnati well, 2. You know and, what, while we're on it... But this is not, a, this is not the situation. Devin Aoki, who played Miho in the original... The, the silent Japanese ninja. Yeah. Uh, was replaced by Jamie Chung in this one. And um, what? Why do you make that uh, choice? From my, I read about this the other day. Uh, apparently, Devin Aoki during filming was pregnant, and so it would have kind of stood oh. out. And and where do we know yeah. the new actress from? Anything? Uh, let me give me two shakes. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about while we're talking about the casting. Um, and this is something that you should think about, you know... Uh, well, she was in The Hangover Part 2 and Part 3. She was. This is Jamie Chung, who's the new Miho. Yeah. Uh, she was in a show called Believe. Yeah. Once Upon a Time, she was in a TV show. She's in a movie called Rudderless, which is coming out soon. Okay, so she's not, in, not still breaking out. Um, yeah, I mean, she's in The Man with the Iron Fist, which was RZA's uh, directorial debut. Right. She was in Sucker Punch... Right. Grown up, she's in some name films, but it's on. You know, she's it's it's a situation where she's here's not. something. We, uh, this is a great moment to 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 show uh, these films being ten years apart, showing the uh, the poor state of how difficult it is to be a Hollywood actress and how <laughs> short your shelf life is. Because if you looked at the the character, the male actors from Sin City One. Right? right, Willis, Mickey Rourke, Elijah Wood, Clive Owen, uh, even Dennis Haysbert. Right, those guys are still at the you know you know A and B list mo- you know stars. Like they're still there. But then you look at poor Jessica Alba, Rosario Dawson, Carla Gugino, Jamie King, and Brittany Murphy. Rest of soul, Miss the Girl. Yeah. You know, like um, those girls are out of they're 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 out of the 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 main casting. You know. Um, well, uh, I mean, uh, they're not. They're Jessica, not Jessica the Alba list. has been busy. She's a, she's in Machete Hills. She was in uh, a couple of shorts. She, she's not who she was uh, ten years ago. I mean, that's and that you no. if you look back in Hollywood history, it's just that you know the way Hollywood system works right now is that actresses have a short shelf life. They are, and um, and it's 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 a flaw in the system. Um, whereas, uh, you know, guys like Bruce Willis are still getting paid to do action movies. 
Yeah. When he's doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, um, the, the thing that I would say, because uh, I'm looking at Rosario Dawson's uh, IMDb page, and she's been working pretty consistently. It's just Yeah, I'm not that, saying they're not working. I'm just saying these girls were like, at, in 2005, they were all on the rise. Rosario, Rosario Dawson, I think, uh, more than some of these others, took her career in her own hands. Yes. And so she started to, to, to do work. I mean, it was as far back as 2007, she was producing films. And she doesn't have a huge producer credit list, but she's at least doing her own thing. And I think, and this is true for everybody, not just uh, actresses. I think everybody who's an actor wants to work, listen to this, is that, you know, don't wait for somebody to come and give you the work if you want to play a specific part. Yeah, Take your career in your own hands. Take Start a, putting it out yourself. Page out of uh, Matthew McConaughey's book, right? The McConaissance happened yeah. because he decided to do take a bunch of chances and stop playing the good-looking like uh, action action guy. Decided to take some chances um, with uh, with Mud, with True Detective, and um, with uh, the uh, the Oscar-winning performance in. Um, in uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. So yeah. Back back to the movie. Uh, let's talk. Let's talk the about Dwight the Dwight Neva storyline had had some fat in it as well. I thought. But the, it was uh, it was well executed. storyline. It was well executed. The reveal. Like I, I I thought she was a good girl. Good guy. Good girl. And then she turned out to be the bad girl. So I bought. Yeah, and, and and the weakness of that was she has this moment where she says, "I don't need to." You know, once. My, you know, my husband's dead. I will, I will, I'll inherit everything, and I won't ever need a man again. Husband dies, and the first thing she does is she seduces Mork, played by Christopher Maloney. And I, I, my first thought was, I thought you didn't need anybody anymore. I thought you were going to just, I don't know, I didn't think you were going to take it easy, but all of a sudden you find her, you know, you find her doing the same thing again. And the Mort and Bob, the two cops, storyline, excise it. You don't lose a thing. Uh, it was a lot of fat in this movie, and it was it would have you know I don't remember how long it was uh, you know besides it felt yeah like. but see you know there's this uh, there's a great line uh, that Dennis Haysbert delivers when he's in the hospital bed um, which is closer to more of the poetic uh, uh, hard boiled dialogue from Sin City One right she's a goddess she's a goddess and the goddess doesn't fall in love and she you know, she she takes you know she enslaves men. She's yeah, if, a siren. If, she's a siren. I, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. If somebody wrote something like this in the screenwriters collective, <laughs> and they put it before the group, yeah. First thing we'd all say is cut Morton Bob. They're great. They were a lot of fun. It was interesting, but they had five scenes that you didn't need. And more. And, more yeah. Who? More. more. Oh, is, Christopher Maloney. And and, yeah. and Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven. Right, right, right. Yet you know Piven gets like three lines in this movie, uh, and Mort um, plays essentially the exact same role as Dwight. He's just do he he gets played again. Yeah. It, it, total, uh, total. Um, uh, 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 what do you call it? Echo. It's like it, yeah, that's a that's a you know something and, and repeating just, yourself in the script. Repeating yourself, yeah. You but it, the, the fact that it didn't entwine itself with the story, it was just on its own. It didn't elaborate, but it, it was the same. It was the same thing, you know. The same. Um, there was a couple of places where this story, this film, repeats itself. Um, yeah, Mort 
uh, getting seduced by Ava and then, you know, paying for it. The same as Dwight getting seduced by Ava and then paying for it. Also, you know, the, the, um, the Dwight and Ava finale is basically Dwight um, convinces Marv to assault their house together. Right. And there's an assault on the house, and uh, Marv takes on um, Manute, which is possibly the best action, you know, fight sequence in the movie, which is they're really kicking each other's ass, and then um, some great moments, uh, some great fighting, and then Marv actually, you know, gouges out Manute's eye, and that's when I was like, yes. You know, now <laughs> we're getting so we're But then, again, it's repeated in the Nancy and Rourke plot, where Nancy convinces Marv to go, you know, storm the castle of Rourke's castle instead of Ava's castle. So the story's, for, you know, it's repeating itself a little. In bit. a sense, in a sense, I'm okay with that. But but just there, Morton, Bob, you could cut him out. Thank Johnny, you. unfortunately, you could cut him out. Um, no, you're not cutting out Johnny. I'm keeping Johnny. I mean, don't get me wrong. Johnny's my favorite Wall, part. you can cut out, and uh, I, I thought maybe it's fine. She has Ava has bigger intentions than just sitting on her duff and while like, you know spending her, her late husband's cash but what about Gail, you could replace her Gail, Gail and the girls from from uh, from downtown you know it, it's one of those things where it's like I like them a lot but if they had not been in there I don't know that I would have missed them I like yeah. Rosario Dawson a lot it's yeah. great that she was there but it's unfortunate that they were just it so was anything things... else you liked or disliked about the Dwight Nava stuff? Let's see. What did you like about the Dwight Nava plot? <laughs> you no, know, I mean it was fine. It was, of... it was very cliche film noir stuff, you know. And... Yeah, I mean it was. Minute was great. Eva uh, Green keeps getting naked. She's in a bathtub. Yeah. She's in a pool. It's like... That's true. You know, there's, there's a, a lot... there's a moment. There's a moment where um, she's waiting for Mort to call her up. Yeah, to finally decide to sleep with her, and she picks up the phone and she goes, "Finally!" I'm like, "I'm saying that to myself. Finally! Yeah. <laughs> like this movie's taking forever." Yeah, and and, and I get... looked at it just now. It's apparently only 102 minutes. The movie? Yeah. I mean, I don't well, know. I'm talking did. about you know, fat on a story. Just me is is not about length. It's about. Uh... I, I, I'm wondering if we cut the fat away, if it would be less than a short. <laughs> it's like. A 90 minute action flick is perfect to me. I, I don't know if it would be 90 minutes. So but that said, on to the Nancy and Rourke plot. Nancy, Marvin, Rourke, Nancy, Hardigan, Marvin, Rourke. I mean, I like it that it's a carryover from the previous film. Yeah. That you know that you know if you didn't pay attention to the previous one, I don't know that if you I don't know that you necessarily had to see Sin City one to follow this story. It's clear what she's trying to do. It's clear, more or less, why she's trying to do it. Um, it Nancy, does, but Nancy it also doesn't strike me as Nancy has that transformation. She cuts off her hair. She cuts her face up. Finally, Nancy um, cutting her face with the knives. Is, yeah, with the, the glass, yeah. Yeah, uh, excuse me, with the glass is actually one of these, um, these great uh, visual themes that Rodriguez uses. Um, all the protagonists, um, from Marv to Dwight, uh, uh, to Dwight in the first uh, film, uh, to, to Dwight Joseph, in this next film, to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they all get their face cut up, beaten right. up, and so Nancy sort of uh, using the glass to cut her own face, and then cutting her hair and transforming her outfit, 
and picking up a gun turns her from femme fatale into um, uh, into you know the uh, uh, detective like prote- you know film noir protagonist. She becomes yeah. she's got the beaten up face now. She's the main character, and now the plot's hers. It's Nancy's plot. It's not Hardigan's plot anymore because he's dead. She takes over for him. See, and, and that part of it I did like because anything where you have a physical transformation of a character, it doesn't just speak to the character. It speaks to um, real life in a lot of ways. You know, somebody cuts their hair and they're a totally different person. And in in film and in just theater in general, it's like the biggest transformation you can do to a person besides a physical, actual transformation of changing actors, say. You cut somebody's hair and give them a different haircut. Uh, think, for instance... Um, in, in Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle goes from a full head of hair, and he, then he cuts his hair, and he's got a mohawk. Yeah, suddenly, yeah. he's the angel of death. Um, and this so. film, and this film is speaks a very visual uh, language. So did the original Sin City. Yeah. So I mean, that's one of his greatest strengths is the um, the visual language it's spoken. Uh, for me, also the uh, the 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 finale where. Nancy uh, kills Rourke. Um, uh, using Hardigan's gun. Using Hardigan's gun. Um, and then Hardigan actually appears as a ghost to distract him. I yeah. bought it. I loved it because they set up the ghost early on previous in previous um, plots. Early on as a bookend, uh, you know, Hardigan's ghost is walking around and you're like, is that Hardigan? Is he alive again? No, it's his ghost. And so, yeah, I did like that. I love that setup. I bought it. Um, and it actually um, is a parallel to how Rourke used the mirror to fool her. And so the mirror actually, he looks in the mirror and he sees uh, Hardigan in it. And uh, he hesitates and that's how Nancy's able to shoot him. In fact, in the Nancy story, mirrors play, it seems like mirrors play a big role because she's looking at herself quite often. She smashes her face her forehead into the mirror, and um, Hardigan appears behind her saying, you know, don't do this. Uh, and we see her reflection in the jagged glass. Clearly she's losing it, which is something of a film cliche. Uh, but I thought it was used pretty well here. And then, of course, she cuts her face with the mirror. And then, of course, at the end, Hardigan appears in the mirror. Yeah. Uh, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't too over the top. I thought it was noticeable enough where you could go look at it and go, oh, I see what's going on here. But it wasn't uh, too in your face. Um, that's, I think, one of the stronger yeah. points of her storyline. For me, the Nancy Marvin Rourke storyline was the great, was a good finish for this movie because you've got Nancy's transformation from femme fatale into the, the hard-boiled protagonist of a film noir. You get Rourke finally getting his um, and you get Marv still kicking ass, you know. What, yeah, happened, what, what, what happened to Marv in the end there? He got shot up or... No, I think he, his uh, gun jammed and he got shot. This is one of those things where it's a little fat on the bone. Yeah. You yeah. Marv and it would be fine. Marv is there just because... We like having Marv around because he's a yeah. bad, bad motherfucker and his well, face looks like, a, like, a, like it's been beaten in a hundred times and... Well, the, the thing is, like, you know, Marv is popular from the graphic novels itself. There was a, uh, uh, you know, a, I don't want to say an action figure, but a little statuette of him in the electric chair. Uh, and press a button, and his eyes glow red, and he says, is that all you got? And 
you know, I mean, he's just a popular character. And if you didn't have him in Sin City, a Dame to Kill for, you wouldn't sell 15 tickets at 5.40 on a Saturday. Yeah. You know, you so, would have only sold 10. So, So you know, we covered a lot. You want to just, you know, summarize your experience, Sin City 2, a Dame to Kill for? Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I kind of wish I'd been at home for bath time. Uh, <laughs> I, I could have. This is something like if it's if it's on TV and you don't have anything better to do, go for it. It's worth worth it for the Johnny storyline. Oh. Uh, you're, you're hating on Rodriguez. You're hating on Frank Miller. Mostly, I'm hating on Frank Miller because I think it's his fault for this. <laughs> uh, you know, expect at least half of his movie. Yeah, you know, it's like my my thing is that this was a very fatty kind of film. Uh, I, I don't mind if people go for the tropes. If they, you know, if the tropes work, that's great. You know, if you have a buddy cop kind of situation where you have a straight man, as it were, and the, the loose cannon, that's great. Because if you look at True Detective, that's a buddy cop kind of thing where you have the straight man in uh, Hart and the loose cannon in Cole. But they do something so different with it that it's great, and the trope is still there. But it's not a buddy cop. Genre. It's the film it's, genre. He's it, the but, it, but if you look at the relationship between the two, Hart is a um, he's a Christian. He's a family, supposedly a family man. He's the kind of guy that you would imagine saying, "I'm too old for this shit." Whereas Cole is the atheist in the deep south, where Christianity is a big to do. Uh, you know, he's a, he has a nihilistic view of life. He is the quote loose cannon, and that's what I think makes it great. Is <laughs> we're getting into True Detective. Yeah. We're, Chris Theokas will be running the uh, our True Detective workshop um, in, and, uh, in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that's something I actually have been thinking of. I've seen the first couple of episodes, and that's something I thought about for a while. Is that that you know if you have, it's it, it's difficult to escape the tropes of any given genre, and and it's almost to the point where you it's like you shouldn't escape them. You should embrace them and 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 reinvent them. That's that's precisely that's what great and, and screenwriting so, is. That's and so Sin City does not try to escape them. It embraces them, but it does not try to do anything new with them. That's okay. So I'll 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 pick up from there because that's my thing. I went to see this movie. I wanted to see this movie because um, Robert Rodriguez and Frank's, Frank Miller's reinvention of the film noir. Okay. Right. Uh, in Sin City, the the graphic novel. Okay. He took film noir. To this beautiful um, visual place with with the drawings, with the style of drawing, with the color themes, um, with the ultra violence, um, with the ultra sex. Um, uh, Frank Miller did innovate the genre there. Okay, right. and so Sin City was an extremely original film, um, and adding the the uh, the multi plot ensemble structure was a great choice by the filmmaker at the time. Um, because it works with uh, the way the books were written, um, and I went to see Sin City 2 for more of that, and I didn't get enough. It was it wasn't as much, not it wasn't genre enough for me, you know. And, right. and um, while the aesthetics were good, they weren't better than the original. They, while the dialogue was somewhat poetic here and there and hard boiled, it wasn't as good as the original. It had its moments. Um, and, you know, I wanted more. But I actually, from all the reviews it's been getting, I thought it would be horrible. It wasn't horrible. It was just it's sort of a, a, a you know, a watered-down city, Sin City 2, an Americano 
or a uh, uh, you know a uh, scotch on the rock. I have not made using a coffee machine a good cup of coffee ever since I hit New York ten years ago. It's a coffee that I would make in a coffee machine. That's a terrible, terrible coffee. You're saying Sin City 2 is the coffee you would make? Yes, I make a terrible cup of coffee ever since I hit New York City. The moment I stepped foot in New York City, I lost the ability to make a cup of coffee. Well, we're happy you're here. Um, <laughs> no, I, I agree. It, it, it's, it's a very watered-down kind of uh, But I still enjoyed it, and I'm glad Rodriguez made it. I would love to see Sin City 3 where he really goes there, brings back the supervillains, Brings back the uh, the aesthetic and the poetry, um, uh, but uh, that's I think that's going to sum it up for us. This is uh, the script podcast, the official podcast of the NYC Screenwriters Collective. Okay, the NYC Screenwriters Collective is the largest nonprofit screenwriting workshop in New York City. If you live in New York, um, come sign up for a workshop. We review uh, feature length scripts, we review TV scripts uh, of our members and of professionals. Uh, we do script analysis. We do uh, craft-oriented. Um, in addition, the script podcast is available on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at, at scriptfeed. Thank, I want to thank Chris Theokis, my script doctor tonight. Thank you, David. And um, that's it. Uh, we'll see you next time on the script. See you later, man. Bye.